With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Let's keep it Blessings, 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 and a gracious good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good whatever time it is at the time that you're hearing the sound of my voice. I pray that you are having a phenomenal day. This is Elder Coilette James. I am the host of the It's Real Radio broadcast, and I am so honored to once again join you in the airwaves. I'm normally joined by my lovely co-host, Ms. Tanya Roberts, but she won't be joining us today. So we're just going to kind of do um, kind of a free-for-all. I'm inviting all of you that are listening to please call in and let's chat. We're going to just kind of talk about some of the the trending topics that are going on in America today. And obviously on the top of that list is COVID-19. It has just um, really wreaked havoc in our country and the world. Um, Worldwide, there have been 42.8 million cases, 42.8 million cases. That's unbelievable. And 1.15 million deaths worldwide. It's just, oh my goodness, We I know in my lifetime, I've never seen anything of this magnitude. And to my knowledge, it's been over 100 years since um, the world has had to deal with this, especially the United States has had to deal with anything like this. Here in the United States, we've had 8.69 million cases um, this year. And 225,000 deaths, that's just mind-blowing, just staggering. It is absolutely staggering. Um, So much can be said about this, but I think for me, um, at the forefront of this whole pandemic and issues that we find ourselves dealing with currently is the the loss of lives and how people's lives that are connected to those that have passed away have been 
unbelievably effective. Um, it has just ravaged so many families. Just, you know, out of the blue, like one day you're healthy and all is well in the world, and the next day you're on a ventilator and your family can't get to you, and then you're gone. And that has got to be absolutely devastating. And it's happened over and over and over again. And it is just heart-wrenching. That, to me, is is the biggest um, issue due to this this current pandemic. And then after the loss of life, obviously, is the economy. Um, so many people have lost their jobs. So many people have lost their livelihood, their businesses. They've lost, um, at this point now, they're, they're starting to relax the, the uh, memorials or the mandatory um, holds on foreclosures and evictions and things like that. And there are actually areas in this country now that are actually evicting people and foreclosing on people's homes and just, you know, not taking into consideration really the state of the nation, which is very, very sad, which is extremely sad to me. I don't understand how people can be so heartless um, just to know what this, what everybody, what everybody is going through right now. And yet greed steps in and says, well, I don't care what you're going through. I need my money. Um, And that's really a sad scenario. It's a very, very sad scenario in my book. (laughs) And then we have to look at if we're going to talk about the state of the nation and talk about where we are with this pandemic, we've got to look at leadership. We've got to look at the fact that our country is so divided on even being healthy. I mean, that is a great divide. It's like, you know, we can agree to disagree on a whole lot of things, but when we get to the point where life and living and being safe and making sure those around you are safe, when that becomes political, And so there's this divide that says, you know, if you're wearing a mask, then, you know, something is wrong and people are literally fighting, literally (laughs) physically fighting and attacking people because they don't want to wear a mask. And that, that is just, wow. That is just, wow. That's the only thing that I can come up with for that because thought, I really thought it was just human nature to want to live, to want to survive, to want to be strong. Um, And when you're fighting someone who's only trying not only to live themselves, but to keep you healthy as well, then then that's that's a real, real sad scenario. I was reading yesterday where um, a nurse had went into a store and she had on her mask, and this man walks up. She's in the store grocery shopping, right? She's walking down the aisle, minding her own business, grocery shopping, and some man came up to accost her and started yelling at her and going off on her because she had on a mask and was asking, you know, why are you wearing that? And that does no good. And, and I mean, just really, like, belligerent, like, right in this woman's face. And the woman stopped and looked at him and then proceeded to tell him 
that she was an ER nurse at the local hospital and the fact that so many COVID cases had come through there and even are still in there, she wears the mask not just to protect herself, but to protect those that she comes in contact with. Because even though they are tested, she could be asymptomatic and still be a carrier of the virus, and she's trying to protect the lives of the people that she came in contact with. I'm just like, when do we get to a place where we have to defend caring about somebody else's life? This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. But that's the state of this country. Other countries have no issues. They're compliant. They go, you know, it's like, hey, yeah, we want to live. Put the mask on. Cool. You know, their numbers are down. Our numbers are spiking. It's just insane to me. And then as I read on in the article, the article stated that as she's telling the man who she is and where she works, he steps back about 10 steps, because remember, he was right in her face, about 10 steps, but then still wants to accost her about wearing a mask. I'm telling you, the state of affairs right now in America is ludicrous. It is just, it makes absolutely no sense. And unfortunately, like I said, if we're going to talk about this, we have to go up the ladder to leadership because when you have a person that is in leadership that is fueling the fire for people not to take precautions, for people not to use wisdom, and whatever that fan base is that he has, they fall right in line with him. And the fact he literally, he mocks people that wear masks. He mocks um, the, the, the candidate running against them. He mocks um, a newspaper reporter. I, I mean, these are people he's mocking even after he got the virus. I, I'm just like, what kind of mentality does that? Literally, I'm just like, I'm just blown away. I am totally blown away. What what does your mentality have to be at? What low IQ level? And I'm just going to put it out there like that. Does your mentality have to be that you're mocking people for trying to stay safe, for trying to keep other people safe? And you're the leader of the free world, and this is the example that you are setting. It's, it is just mind-boggling to me. And that is, to me, one of our, our biggest problems that we have going on right now in the country is the fact that, you know, our leadership is at an all-time low. <laughs> you know, the leaders of this, this nation right now is at an all-time low. They are just not... Uh-huh. They're just not uh, leading. <laughs> They're not leading. Their examples are anything but what we need as a country. And this is my personal opinion. Um, and I thank God that I still live in the United States of America. And I am able, because of the First Amendment, to share my opinion. And so I am. Um, another topic, which is just leads us into is the current state of the election. Um, right now, there is so much on the line. And when you look at the voter turnout, I, I promise you, I stood in line for five hours to vote. 
And I went to go vote the very first day. Voting was allowed in, in Georgia. And because of the fact that I had purchased a car there this year and I had spent so much time um, in Georgia this year that I had to go ahead and get the car registered in Georgia. So then I had to change my driver's license to a Georgia driver's license. So I had to vote in Georgia because I would not get back to Nevada in time to change the driver's license back over again and what have you and to vote here, which is really what I wanted to do. But be that as it may. Um, I got there to the polls at 6.15 in the morning and still took five hours to vote. <laughs> it was just, wow. It was unbelievable. But if I tell you the camaraderie of the people that were standing in line, and, and I, I felt so really, I really felt bad for the slew of people that came in after me because I can only imagine. They probably, I would say, easy People that didn't get there till around 7, which is when the, the polls open, I'm convinced that they probably would be in line about seven to eight hours. I'm serious. It was just, it was that unbelievable. But the camaraderie of the people in line was something to behold because you heard not one complaint about standing in line. The complaint was about all the the things that were done to deter people from voting. That was the complaint. And it was amazing. It was almost, and especially for, for the people, because you, you had all, all nationalities out there, all nationalities. And I'm sure you have both Republicans and Democrats in those lines. But for the, the constituents that were of African-American descent, it was like they felt a duty, literally. And I, I mean, this was the conversations that were going on. They felt a duty to stand in that line, not to get out of it, but to make sure that the right that they had attained to vote, what their ancestors, what our ancestors went through to get that right, to stand there and to do and exercise that right and to to exercise their voice in the matter of what was going on right now in this nation it was like it was an amazing experience it really really was it was almost like you could feel the ancestors being channeled <laughs> if that makes sense to you because you know you think about all the lives that were lost for us to have the right to vote and it was just like nobody was like, you know, it wasn't like all the complaints or whatever, and nobody was getting out of line. I'm serious. It was just like, wow. So it tells us that even with as bad as things are in this country, that the occupants of this country really relish the rights that have been fought and won for us. And we will not relinquish those rights. We're not going to go quietly in the night <laughs> and go away um, just because somebody wants to make it difficult for us to exercise those rights. And it was literally a sense of pride. I, 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 it's hard to explain. And I'm sure any of you that are listening, if you have found yourself in those lines, you can relate to what I'm saying. It was a sense of pride and honor and duty to stand in those lines 
to exercise the right that has been fought and died over for us. And it was it just so happened um, a couple of days after standing in that line, I was traveling back from Atlanta to Las Vegas, and I was driving, and I had my granddaughter with me. And so one of the cities we stopped in was Memphis. And so since we were in Memphis, I thought, oh, this will be great experience for her. I took her to the Civil Rights Museum and so that she could go through and actually get a better um, understanding and a view of the different things that um, we've had to go through as a people to even to get to where we are today. And we still got a ways to go, and we recognize and understand that economically, um, socially, and in, in many different areas, which has definitely been exposed, let's put it that way, over these past few years. At any rate, it was, an, it was a great experience to see her um, go through this and our history and see things. And then we got to um, the, the portion of the museum that dealt with voting and voting suppression and the people that lost their lives to vote and the marches and all of that. And it was just so apropos that she could see that, experience that, understand that because of the plight of our country right now. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And even for myself, and I've been, let me tell you, I've probably been to that museum three or four times in my lifetime. And every time I go, they've changed it. <laughs> you know, you've got new, uh, new exhibits and different things, and they switch things around and whatever. But every time I go, it's still eye-opening. It is still um, amazing for me just to see and to read and to experience. And um but just to do it with her, she will be 24 years old next month. And so she is at that age now where things are starting to um, have meaning and, and giving her a sense of purpose and what have you. And so it was just, it was an, it was an incredible experience. One thing I will say, though, that I was disappointed in, and I'm sure they probably did it for political reasons or, you know, kind of to not fuel the fire of the unrest that's currently going on in our country. But they have, um, if you've ever been there, they have the bus, um, the bus segment where Rosa Parks um, was asked to, to uh, relinquish her seat. And they have changed that now. And, we'll, and and I really hated that because before I've been, like I said, this is probably about my fourth time going, and before it was raw and real. It was, you know, a Caucasian bus driver sitting there telling nigga, get up out the seat, move, and just yelling. And, and the explorators just, you know, just the realness. In fact, I was telling my granddaughter the first time I went to the museum, I went with a couple of friends, one of which were Caucasian, and he got mad. He he was mad when by the time he got off the bus, he was just like fuming, okay, um, because of how raw it was, right? And they have toned it down. And now it's just like, you need to move to the back. If you don't get up, if you don't move to the back, I'm going to call the police. And I was like, no, that's not how it went. That's not how it went. It was rough and raw. So I hated that they had changed that that um, exhibit. But again, I'm sure 
<laughs> that um, they they had a political reason for doing it because literally, like I said, the way it was originally, yeah, you would get off there and you'd be fuming. And it's like you want to attack the first person that come in your face <laughs> kind of thing because you would be so upset. But it, it just, the credibility of it was amazing, you know, so that the kids could really know and understand, you know, it wasn't, you weren't nicely asked to move. You weren't, it wasn't polite that, you know, if you don't move, um, I'm going to call the police. That's not how it went. Um, That's not how we were addressed or talked to or handled back in the day. And so that's why I think that, you know, they, they did a disservice by toning it down. It needed to stay real. But then again, like I said, when we got to um, the voting place, it it even touched me to, for the voting exhibit because of just what I had just experienced like three days prior to that, to that, you know, the standing in line and the camaraderie standing in line. And it was really, really interesting because, you know, when you're just standing around with people for that length of time, you kind of make friends, you know, in the line while you're doing it, Right. And I happened to, to be have a Caucasian woman in front of me and an African-American woman behind me. And we just began to chat and to talk. And, you know, the, the sense of coming from different perspectives on, on standing there and what it meant to stand in line and cast your vote was amazing. It was amazing, and it was it was to be honest with you, it was like the the Caucasian woman, and I believe it was probably because she was a woman, had that same tenacity as myself and the other African American woman. Because you got to keep in mind, women a hundred years ago was fighting to, for the right to vote. <laughs> you know, so it's like it's not just race; it's gender as well. And so when, and, and I don't think that the leaders understand what they are attacking when they try to make it difficult. They're, they're trying to attack one group of people or one political party, let me put it that way, um, but they don't understand that they're attacking the very fiber of democracy, the things that have been fought for and people, again, have died for. And just to, to I, the other thing that I found interesting, because, you know, we know that the, the whole postal service thing was attacked and slowed down and mail sorting machines were unplugged and, you know, the uh, mailboxes were moved so to make it inconvenient to be able to mail in your ballot and just all these different ploys to try to slow things down. But just as we were all standing in line, there were a, that was a steady, steady stream of people coming and putting their absentee ballots in the drop box that was out in front of the polling place. So it's like, like I said, we as a people, as a country, has, have shown such resilience to say, you will not take my rights away from me. And I think that that's a phenomenal thing, which leads me to another trending topic, which is the protest. And it's just amazing how those have been politicized. It's just like (laughs) murder is murder and it is wrong. I, I don't care at whose hand it takes place. 
if I kill somebody, I'm in the wrong. If a policeman blatantly kills somebody and it's not in the line of duty, it's not something that it was either their life or your life, then it's still murder. And all and the protests now have been political 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 size, you know, to say that, oh, they're, you know, they're thugs and they're this and, and it's violence and what have you. But if you, I, I pull this up today just to prepare for the show today, and the USA Today, which I just, you know, as God would have it, <laughs> USA Today today <laughs> has um, an article that says that Trump claims Black Lives Matter protests are violent, but the majority are peaceful. It says it's a fanciful reality that Trump has. And they went to um, Portland, they went to Milwaukee, Detroit, Chicago, and Louisville to find out how the protests had affected their cities. And the, the residents of the city were giving their, their, <clears throat> excuse me, their take on it. And the majority of them were peaceful protests. It was the outside agitators that came in or the police officers that turned the protest violent. It wasn't the people that were out there trying to walk and to protest for, um, to, to stop the brutality that's going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Most of the, the people that are out that are in the streets and they're conducting the protest, they, I, I know there's this big thing about, you know, defund the police and all of that. That's not what they started out going out there to do. It was not a matter of defunding the police. It was a matter of regulating the police and getting these bad seeds out. You know, and, and I believe, I really believe, I've listened to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and what, you know, their take on it and how they want to proceed with this. And I really believe that, you know, that's the, that's the way that they're looking at taking. It's not to defund the police. We know we need the police. And one police officer does not make all police officers bad. But here's the problem. When you have a group of police officers and a police force all over the country that are doing these things that are blatantly racist and they hide behind their badge and think it's okay for them to treat people in an inhumane manner, then something has got to be done. Now, I've said this before, and I'm a firm believer of this, and I go back to the 60s, and I said in every... Um, Movement, let's put it that way, in every movement to try to get things better, you're going to have two entities within that movement. You're going to have a Malcolm and you're going to have a Martin. No matter, no matter how this is playing out, you're going to always have a Malcolm and a Martin. You're going to have the one that is saying, you know, let's do this peacefully, you know, let's show love, let's not stoop to the the low places of the other people that we're trying to get to change, let's do peaceful protests no matter what. Even when you're struck, when you're spat on, when water holes are turned on you, when the dogs are let go on you, 
all of these different things, when you're beaten, when your buses blowed up, they're still trying to say, I'm going to maintain my composure. Now, I'm going to be really, really honest with you. I don't know if I could have been John Lewis. I don't know if I could have been um, Martin. I, I, just in my nature, because if you come at me, my first nature is to strike back. So I don't know if I could have did that. But you're also going to have the Malcolm, which is probably the side I would have been on. But anyhow, that was BC. That was before Christ. I, I think I can kind of try and love people a little bit better now. But, you know, you've got the Malcolm side that says by any means necessary. And if I need to draw my arms, then I'm going to draw my arms. I'm going to do what I have to do because I'm tired, because I'm tired of being treated in an inhumane manner. I'm tired of being oppressed. I'm tired of being overlooked. I'm tired of being brutalized. I'm tired of the women in my my race being raped and, and sodomized and all these different things and atrocities that we as a African American people have had to live with. And so, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have that peace and you're gonna have by any means necessary. And to be honest with you, and this, again, is my opinion, I believe it takes both. I believe it takes both. I believe you need the level-headedness of a Martin. You need those that can contain themselves. Can I, You know, when John Lewis passed away earlier this year, I kind of went on this binge um, information type thing regarding his life. I knew him, knew of him. I, I didn't know him personally, but I knew of him knew about the Edmund Pettus Bridge, knew about, you know, the cities, knew about him being beaten. But the fact that, you know, um, he was a great general in my eyes that had transitioned, I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about him. And I, I suggest that the rest of you do the same. And the reason is, is because when one general transcends, then there there has to be others to take their place. And normally that mantle of that particular general will not just fall on one person. It usually falls on multiple people because it takes multiple people to step into their shoes. It, it can't just, you know, his mentality, I mean, as I watched the different things that he went through, as I listened to him, as I, I just, I'm just like, ooh, uh, brother man, I think you a little bit better than me, but I so reverence and respect what he did, what he did. And, you know, and I listened to his colleagues in Congress and they called him the moral compass of the Congress because he had integrity and he didn't bow. You know, uh, there was one clip I was looking at and they were doing a vote, and I'm trying, I don't remember what the vote was. I believe it was the Affordable Care Act was the vote that was before Congress. But he and um, some, other, some other congressmen were on their way to the Capitol, and they were walking, and there was this crowd of protesters that did not want the Affordable, Air, uh, the Affordable Care Act passed. And of course, they attacked them by attacking their race. And this one congressman that was walking with him was, was a black man. 
And he said, as they were walking, this Caucasian man on the other side of the barricade that was shouting all of these these racial slurs at them spat on him. <laughs> and the man said, because his first, like, this man really spat on me? And he looked at him, and he said instantly he turned to look for John Lewis to see how John Lewis was handling it. Because he was just like, okay, if he cool, I'm going to have to be cool. And and John Lewis was just, he just kept going. He just kept going. It was like he was focused. He just kept going. And so the man sucked it up. And kept walking, but you know, it was like his first thought was, I'm getting ready to knock this so and so out. <laughs> okay. But he looked, he looked to the moral compass. It was like, oh my God, okay. So he is not allowing this to deter him. He is not allowing it to stop him. All right. So I'm going to be as big a man as he is, and I'm going to keep walking too. They get inside, they do the vote. It's time to come out. And then Nancy Pelosi tells her story. This is on the same day. All of this is taking place the same day. And as they're getting ready to walk out, she's seeing the crowd and and how angry and, and, again, what they're shouting and whatever. And she took solace and, and cover, so to speak, to walk with John. As they left the Capitol, she walked with him. And, you know, and she was like, she told her story, like she was a little shook. But because of his strength, it gave her the strength and the courage. Because first it was like, what are we going to do? And he's like, we're going to walk on out the door, <laughs> you know, and they did. So it just, you know, when you have people like that, that have sacrificed so very much, I, I watch where he talked about, you know, on the Edmund Pettus Bridge when he was attacked and he was in the hospital, and in, in his hospital bed, right, skull cracked open. And Martin went to go see him. Dr. King went to go see him. And it was like Dr. King was going to have this speech and this rally. And he like, I got to get up out of my bed to show people that this still has to go forth. You know, he was in no condition to be marching, to even be at a rally or anything. But he summed up and mustered up the strength to go and to stand to say no matter what, they can brutalize us, they can do whatever they want to do, but yet and still this movement has to go forth. These are the kind of, of images that we as a people, not just a black people, but as a human being person, like, you know, a homeo sapien um, species, we as human beings, we've got to make sure that we can can sum up this kind of courage to do what's right, to do the right thing in this country. And that's, that's the problem that the current leadership has tried to stop. The, the do the right thing, to stand up for what's right. And, and let's just call it what it is. Our current president has done more in four years to blatantly divide this country than anything I would venture to guess in the past hundred years because he's been blatant with it. And so he has given those that feel the white supremacist and all of those, he's given them a leg to stand on to say, hey, we're protected. We're cool. You know, stand back. What was it? Stand back and stand by? <laughs> oh, 
you know, the Proud Boys took that and, hey, that was their slogan. And they opened up their um, their affiliate and all kind of people was ready to join and what have you. That is not the America that has been fought for and bled over. It, it, it is it's just not. But it's, it's I, I say that it's a matter of leadership, which I, I believe that. But it's also a matter of the heart. And what is really, really sad, core of some of the citizens of this country is a black heart. Their heart is evil. Their heart is wicked. And because of that, because of that, they just, any excuse will do for them to ask out what it is that they're asking out. So it's just, you know, when we're looking at the, the, the country right now and the state of affairs of our country, it's going to take a long time for us to get to a place of genuine healing. Um, now, I'm hopeful that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris wins the election. I, I'm very hopeful for that. I, I don't have a problem stating that, okay? But I'm hopeful that we as a people, even when they win the election, that we understand our responsibilities as well because they can't do everything that needs to be done on their own. We as a people in this country, we have to be part of the process. We have to be part of the healing. And this is where the Martin side comes in, where we have got to still be able to show love. You know, you, we, we've got a whole lot more standing with us than that is standing against us, and we need to understand that. So we cannot go about lumping everybody into the same category. You know, I can't judge you by the color of your skin. I have to judge you by the content of your character. I, you know, I am. I vote across party lines. I don't vote parties. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I am a person that I will vote according to your moral compass. I vote according to your character. I, like I said, I vote across party lines um, because it's good and bad on both sides. So, but when you when you when you blatantly, when you can blatantly see someone's moral compass is really, really off, then you know this is this is another thing um, that I really want to do a show on, and and it probably won't be in this this arena, but I, I would really love to get some um, pastors or bishops or you know people that that are seasoned in the body, and I would love to get one. I have two people in mind, one on each side, one that um, is a staunch um, Trump supporter and another one who is not. <laughs> I've got like total opposite ends of the spectrum. But here's my thing, and this is what I love to discuss. Like where does policy in and moral compass step in because evangelicals claim that they're for Trump because Trump is for the church. 
Trump is really not for the church. Let's let's just put that out there. Trump is for Trump. He uses the church to get votes, but he, he couldn't even quote not one Bible scripture. They asked him, it was like, you know, can you tell us what your favorite scripture is? Oh, there's just so many of them. He couldn't even come up with one scripture. One. <laughs> okay. You you look at the life that he has lived, I mean, and yet it, it, it hasn't changed. You know, this zebra has not changed his stripes just yet. Okay, I, that's not to say that, you know, he can't get saved and turn over a new leaf, but it hasn't happened yet. So where is it, when do you get to a place where, okay, I understand maybe he's quote unquote policies that the church would stand for being, you know, that pro-life policy, the um, different, um, the, the marriage policy. Um, I, I get it. I, I understand. But it's still, it, it's going to go back to the heart of the people. I was watching The View one day, and Whoopi and Megan McCain were having a few words. You know, Whoopi tries to really keep it level, but anyway, they were having a few words. But Whoopi said something really, really that stuck out to me. And, and and it's something that I've thought about as well, because I tell people I'm pro-life and pro-choice, and they look at me like I'm crazy, like that's impossible. No, it's very possible. And my stand is this. I'm going to tell you my stand, and then I'm going to tell you why what Whoopi said stood out to me, because it kind of bear witness to what I said. I am pro-choice because God created us to be able to make choices. He created us not as robots but to be able to freely choose, to freely choose to serve him, to freely choose to, to um, put his word in, in action in our lives, to freely choose to be integral, to have moral character, to choose these things, okay? The same way you can choose not to have these things, you can choose to have these things. So I will never allow the enemy to take from me what God gave me, and that's my freedom of choice. And that's what the enemy has worked very, very hard to do. He took the the covenant that God made with his people, the rainbow. God put the bow in the sky as a covenant to bear witness that he would never destroy the earth again with water. Okay, it was a covenant, a solemn promise that he made to the inhabitants of the earth. Okay, and then the enemy comes and takes that 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 sovereign, sacred thing, the rainbow, and makes it the banner for homosexuality, because he wants to come against anything that God has done. Likewise. I'm pro-life because I believe in the sanctity of life. But I believe that you need to you need to make the right choices. If your choice is for the sake of birth control, you just want to kill your unborn child, then you have made a bad choice. Doesn't mean that God didn't give you the ability to make that choice, but you've made a bad choice, a wrong choice. Yet and still it was your choice. So that's, that's why I said, you know, I believe in the sanctity of life. I am definitely pro-life. I have major, major issues with um, those that will march for, for um, 
the right to have an abortion, but will throw um, paint on you if you have a fur coat on, or they'll go out there and march to save the world, the whales, or whatever, but they won't march to save human life. That's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the policies of this country. It's a matter of the heart. So if we cannot get to the crux of the heart of people, if we cannot be living, breathing examples of what God's will and desire is in this earth realm, all the policies in the world won't make a difference. They won't make a difference. It's a matter of the heart. Word of God says the heart is wicked. And it is. It is. But until we can get people to make that transition, to allow that stony heart to be transformed to a heart of flesh, that only God can do. Only God can do that. Okay? Then we're going to always have issues. It's always going to be a a problem. No matter what, it'll always be something wrong. So my, my thing is this. When do we stop just backing a candidate that we know has a moral compass of, okay, no moral compass. How about that? Um, But we're going to back them and praise them and put them on a pedestal just because of policy? Something is wrong with that picture to me. And so that that is like, like I said, this is something that I would really love to just do a show on, you know, I mean, we can agree to disagree. I have good friends that are Trump supporters. Hey, okay. You know, the person that I look to as a a spiritual leader when I'm in Atlanta, he's an apostle and he's a Trump supporter. Okay. That's on you, homeboy. (laughs) That's how I feel. You know, I can agree to disagree with you. And and the claim is because of the policy. The claim is because of the good that he has done um, in certain respects. Okay. But, again, the the reason for, the reason behind what he has done, and, and you, you got to hear me. So because of my background and where I come from, from, you know, working with the, the fight industry and working for Don King Productions, I absolutely actually know Donald Trump. I, you know, we used to do a lot of fights at his hotel in Atlantic City. So this, I'm not coming from just what I've read, okay? I'm coming from what I've observed, you know, that, yeah, no moral compass. I'm sorry, none. Okay. So when I, when I speak on it, it's not just from hearsay or, again, like what I've read. But I had somebody come at me a few weeks ago, a woman that I totally respect. You know, we've we've been in ministry together, what have you. And she sent out this um, dissertation, I almost want to call it. It was this long message that she did through Messenger to all these different people. And she did it individually, which was cool. But she sent it to me and where, you know, she had put Trump on this big pedestal and just praising him and you know he is this and that literally it was like the way this woman had built him up it was like he was the second coming and then there was a line in it 
in what she was saying that if you do not agree with me, this is what kind of got me. If you do not agree with me, then my suggestion is that you um, get deliverance from those demons that are in your mind. Okay. And I'm going, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. If I don't agree with you, then I got demons in my mind. Like what? So I had to respond. And I was very respectful and, you know, and started off, listen, I don't normally get into political discussions just because, you know, of how toxic they are. Um, But because I respect you, I feel I have to answer you. Okay. And my response was, you know, you will never, ever get me to praise someone who has no moral compass. I don't care what policies. I get it. I get what the evangelicals are, you know, all about. And, you know, even with uh, the latest person they're trying to get on the Supreme Court, that's the least of my worries. I, literally, you know, they send you all of these surveys, like, you know, what is the most important to you, you know, when it comes to the election or whatever. Who they put on Supreme Court is the least of my concern. And that's just how I feel. She can be pro-Trump, pro, pro-life, pro anti whatever it is you know what i'm saying my thing is this as i just said if the heart is not right with the people it does not matter what the law is and and if we've not learned anything else as this country in the past 250 odd years or whatever we should have learned that because the forefathers were quote unquote supposed to be men of god that even drafted the Constitution, that drafted the the Declaration of Independence, but even they who were ministers and supposedly Christians and in the Word still saw Black people as three-fifths of a person. That they, they, you know, even the words that they wrote, they didn't believe that all men are created equal. They didn't even believe it. Well, I guess they did believe it. They just didn't consider that a Black man was a man. So it's like, you know, when you really think about everything that has transpired as a nation up until this point, you know, there is so hypocritical in so many different ways. So it's my thought is like this, where does the moral compass kick in? I mean, you know, you're going to back people because of their policy, but What's the what's behind the policy? What's behind the reason that they're doing what they're doing? And that's my problem. You even have evangelicals that were at the table, that had a seat at the table back four years ago when Trump was running and was privy to the conversation. If you deliver the evangelical vote to me, then I will make sure that these particular policies are passed. It was never a matter of his conscience or a matter of him believing that these policies were right. It was a political promise that if you can get the vote behind me, then I'll, I'll, I'll step up to the plate and do this for you. Where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? I, I, and I'm really serious about that. I'm so serious about that. I don't, you know, I, I really need to know that. I really need to know that because in the word, you know, I get it. God can use anybody. I, and I, <laughs> I say this a lot, but it's the truth. If God can use a jackass, he can use anybody because, hey, he did. In the word, he used a donkey. 
you know, and, and certain versions of the word call him a jackass, <laughs> okay? So if God can do that, he can use anybody. I got it. I get it. But again, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? Do you sell your soul just to get policy enacted? Is that where we've come? Or are, should we be as a body, as a body of Christ, should we be out there on the forefront trying to help the people's heart get a heart change? It's not a matter of a policy change. It's a heart change. It's a heart change. Before Roe versus Wade, okay, women were killing themselves to abort their children killing themselves. They were sticking hangers up in them. They were doing all manner of things. So it was still going on whether that that was passed or not. You had quacks coming through and and maiming women and just all that. Listen, I'm a product, okay? The parents I had that I grew up with, the reason I had the, the, the honor to be part of their family is because my mother as a teenager, and I believe she was raped. She never went into the story, but because of her, her, her demeanor and her protectiveness of me, I really do believe that. And unfortunately we never had the conversation before she passed, but you know, because some quack did a botched job with her, that in her early 20s, she had to have a hysterectomy, so therefore she could not produce a child, and therefore 20 years later, my parents adopted me because she could not carry, she didn't have a womb to carry a child in, you know. So, um, so I'm a product of those days. I, it's, but my point is this. You know, it again, we're so caught up or quote unquote the body is supposedly so caught up no, let me say the evangelicals, not really the body, but the evangelicals are supposedly so caught up in policy that they're totally overlooking moral character. And as I've read my word, moral character seems to be really important to God. It really seems to be very important to God to the point that if you ask, he will help you transition from the immoral character to a moral character, to morality. He, he will assist you in that transition if that is what you desire, okay? So I really, like I said, for me, it's where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? And, and that's, again, a, a topic for a different show, but... You know, that's that's kind of what the things that I look at. And then um, the other the other thing here um, trending right now in America is our standing in the world. It's like these past these past four years have like literally taken us from um the big brother of the world to the laughing stock of the world. It's just amazing. We've um, aligned ourselves with our enemies and ticked off and got rid of all of our allies. That's scary. That is really scary. Um, it's just, we, you know, things, things in this country 
I won't say they couldn't get any worse because they can always be worse, but they are a mess. <laughs> they are a mess. And so I'm kind of leading into, as we've discussed all of this and all of these hops and whatever, my biggest thing is people, we need to pray. If there was ever a time that we needed healing in our land, we need to get to that place where we turn down our plate, where we um, turn from our wicked ways, as the word says, that we turn from our wicked ways and seek the Lord with everything that is within us so that he can heal our land. Because again, just change of leadership is not going to do it. It it will help. It will help. But we are so, oh my goodness, so far out there right now that it is going to take the hand of God. It is going to take the hand of God upon this nation if we are going to to do better, if we are going to heal. Um, you, you've got such eruption even in the body of Christ. You know, I mean, this bothers me. It really, really does. It bothers me because you have, quote, unquote, Christian brothers and sisters who are so vehemently going at one another over a immoral individual <laughs> sitting in leadership right now. That, you know, I mean, that they're, they're degrading one another. They're threatening one another. They're doing all of this. And they forgot the fact that, wait a minute, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, first and foremost, before you're a citizen of the earth land, before you are a citizen of the United States of America. Have you forgotten who your king is? Have you forgotten who your father is? Have you forgotten the ways of his word? That you will put all of that aside and go at one another? No regard for one another? No, you know, just filters are off. You're calling each other out of your names, just everything. Again, like I said, it is a matter of the heart. And we need to address the heart issue that this con- this country is currently facing. And if we don't get the heart issue right, the country is going to hell in a handbasket, straight up. we got to get the heart issue right. So I would just implore you as we wind down, we're coming to the end of the show, I implore you to get before the Father, lift up this nation, Lift up the leadership in this nation, no matter who's still sitting there after November 3rd. Lift up the leadership that they would transition even the more into a place of godly um, leadership, uh, to, to be leaders after God's own heart, to be leaders of compassion, leaders that will unite this country and stop tearing this country apart. It is urgent, 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 urgent that we get it together. So that's the show for today. I've managed to talk for a whole hour. Um, I thank you for your participation and for listening, and I pray that it has put some things on your mind um, to think about, some prayer topics to pray about. And with that, I am going to release you, and I pray that you have a phenomenal week. And Lord willing, we'll be back with you 
Same God channel, same God time next week. God bless. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.